This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, where the Department of Corrections releases some scary numbers about the spread of coronavirus behind bars. A huge swamp fire in northwest Florida tangles traffic by closing down the interstate. Governor Ron DeSantis and Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed both went there to check it out. Separately, of course, they're not exactly best buddies. Liberal groups, including the Dream Defenders and Latino Justice, team up for what they call the Freedom for Florida Coalition. They want the legal system to be more progressive and accountable and claim our current system is destroying minority communities. On today's Sunrise interview, we'll talk with Representative Evan Jenny about the special session on coronavirus that will not be happening. Democrats tried to force the issue, Republicans refused, and that, as they say, is that. But there could still be a special session to fix the budget hole created by the virus. Only thing is, it will not be on the Democrats' terms. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and stories of two Florida men. One of them ended up on the wrong side of the law, the other on the wrong side of the canal. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, May 8th. The latest figures from the health department show we have almost 39,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus in Florida. The death toll has reached 1,600. That's an increase of 61 fatalities in one day. COVID-19 is spreading in the state prison system. 12% of the inmates at Liberty Correctional Institution in North Florida have tested positive for COVID-19. Now, a week ago, the prison had two positive cases among prisoners, two among workers. But the Department of Corrections says the latest round of testing revealed 167 inmates and seven corrections workers had tested positive. Families of inmates have been complaining since the beginning of the pandemic that inmates are not being protected. Dora Torito used to work as a jail nurse, and she says the inmates are pretty much on their own. The inmates are walking all over the place. How can you do six feet? How can you keep things uh, sanitized? Not only are they in danger of spreading the COVID-19, but even the employees that are coming in, they're in danger, which turns around and correlates to bringing it home to their families. Inmates do have rights and we should protect them. COVID-19 is a deadly disease. So these inmates have already been trialed once and been sentenced. Why are we exposing them and not putting precautions in place for them also? They're citizens just like us. Why are we not putting precautions in place to prevent that? So COVID-19, not only is it deadly, but for me, COVID-19 equals coffins. They do not have the capabilities of treating these people if they get sick. They have what they call an infirmary. The infirmary is minimal, minimal treatment. So with not being able to have the staff to do the sanitation that they need, the open population that the inmates are placed in, which causes um, you know, spread of the virus because it is a droplet precaution and not having the, make, the medical capacity to be able to treat these patients, put these people at what I call COVID-19, directly into a coffin. The lack of testing and protective gear would seem to indicate that inmates are at the bottom of the state priority list. But Florida Emergency Management Director Jared Moskowitz says they are sending more masks. We've done 25 million masks. By, by the end of this week, we'll be at 10 million masks specifically for the long-term care facilities. And we've also, we're also, by the end of this week, have sent a million masks to the Department of Corrections. Uh, which is obviously extremely important. So we're happy to partner with Secretary Inch uh, to make sure that he has the supplies uh, that he needs. Almost 1,900 prison inmates have been tested for COVID-19, and 28% of the tests that have been completed have come back positive. 
The virus has also killed seven inmates, including six at Blackwater River Correctional Facility in the Panhandle. That is a private prison operated by a for-profit prison company called GeoGroup. If you're traveling on Interstate 10 in the Panhandle and are headed towards Santa Rosa County, make sure you check with the highway patrol to see if the road is open. It had to be closed because of smoke from a massive wildfire in the Five Mile Swamp. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed says the Florida Forest Service has sent reinforcements to battle the blaze. The Five Mile Swamp fire was estimated at 2,000 acres and continues to grow. Um, we can confirm at least 17 structures have been burned. Uh, there are a mix of homes and buildings. But of course, that is going to be an ongoing uh, story and ongoing assessments as we continue doing this. Uh, we do know the cause of the fire. It has been determined. It was an escaped prescribed burn by a private contractor on private land um, north of Interstate 10, uh, which started first thing uh, mid-morning mid on Monday. Um, the forecasted weather um, unfortunately changed significantly, and that's what has caused uh, the huge change as of yesterday. Uh, seeing an increase in wind speeds and a decrease in humid uh, humidity um, is really what caused the, the huge spread and the inability to really stop uh, the spread of the fire. The Florida Forest Service, our local fire department resources from Santa Rosa County and the, its neighbors are working tirelessly around the clock to stop the spread of the Five Mile Swamp uh, and to protect, again, life and property. The Florida Forest Service has brought in resources from throughout the entire state to assist with fire suppression, including uh, our incident management teams, additional wildland firefighters, tractor plow units, helicopters, brush trucks, brush trucks, and support personnel. With our firefighters continue to make progress in stopping this fire, we cannot let down our guard. The threat is far from over and there is no rain forecasted and the conditions will continue to be increased for fire behavior. So residents should be ready for the possibility of a wildfire impacting their neighborhoods as we are in the peak also of Florida's year-round wildfire season. If you are informed of a wildfire in your area, you should have a bag packed with important documents such as insurance paperwork and medical records. Leave early when detected by public safety officials. Evacuating early will provide firefighters the best access and allow them to combat the fire. Never try to stay home and defend your home. Your life and your safety is what is paramount in the most important aspects. Um, please, for all the citizens in this community, um, we are working around the clock. We also know that we have another uh, few fires in this neighborhood, including one in South Walton. Um, the temperatures out there and the conditions are uh, severe. Uh, so please make sure that you are not going into the backyard and starting uh, garbage fires. Please do not go into the woods and start campfires. Uh, throwing cigarettes on the side of, of, the, of the woods, um, that's where we are today. And, and we have to all work together to make sure uh, that we are protecting our lives and our community around us. Um, please be safe, everybody out there. Uh, your lives are what is important. Governor Ron DeSantis visited the site Thursday, then announced on Twitter the state received approval from FEMA for federal financial assistance. But Freed says that's not very reassuring when you remember the agriculture industry in North Florida is still waiting on some promised federal aid from Hurricane Michael back in 2018. The state is currently facing very dry, windy conditions that increase the risk of fire. There are 56 wildfires in Florida now, burning a total of more than 7,000 acres. A group calling itself the Freedom for Florida Coalition is demanding better from our legal system. Kendrick Sampson, an actor best known for appearances on The Vampire Diaries, Grace Point, How to Get Away with Murder, The Flash, and Insecure, is lending his celebrity status to this campaign for fundamental change in the criminal justice system. Sampson says it's difficult for people of color to find justice in Florida because the system is stacked against them. 
and always has been. Florida's incarceration rate is 19 times higher than the national average. And since 1970, the prison population has increased at nearly four times the growth of the overall population. As a result, Florida spends $2.4 billion a year on the Department of Corrections, about twice as much as the budget for the state's 28 public colleges, and has almost twice as many people in prison as New York. Racial disparities are endemic at all phases of Florida's criminal legal system. Black Floridians make up 47% of the Florida prison population in 2016 compared to just 17% of the overall population and are twice as likely to be shot by police after being pulled over for a traffic violation and four times as likely to be shot in the back. Black residents are nearly three times more likely to face drug-free zone enhancement charges and spend double the time in lockup as whites convicted of enhanced charges. In some parts of the state, the sentencing disparities are even wider. Florida has pioneered privatization and profit in the criminalization system from the time of the convict leasing system after the Civil War to becoming the first state to authorize private probation services in 1976 to today, funding nearly the entire court system on fees levied upon defendants while allowing private debt collection firms to add up to a 40% surcharge on unpaid court debt. And in the past two years, dozens of Florida sheriffs have announced new agreements with ICE to allow them to hold immigrants in jail for deportation proceedings and to deputize police to serve as local immigration officials. This agenda has been advanced by powerful organizations like the Florida Sheriff's Association, the Florida Prosecuting Attorneys Association, the bail bond industry, and private prison companies like the GEO Group, the nation's second largest operator of private prisons and immigrant detention centers headquartered in Palm Beach County. David Ayala of Orlando is an organizer with a group called Latino Justice, and he says Florida should treat kids like kids and stop sending them to adult prisons. Florida is one of the top three states with the most people incarcerated and has a higher incarceration rate than any other country, including the United States. Florida leaders should be ashamed that a state which is mainly known for Disney World is the number one state in sending children to adult prison. In the 2017-18 fiscal year, more than 900 children were prosecuted as adults, many for nonviolent offenses. Kids need room to be kids even when they make bad choices. Judges, sheriffs, and state attorneys across this state have the ability to slow down the mass incarceration machine. Cameras, metal detectors, and armed men and women have been placed in our schools as a measure of safety. But no data proves that our children are safer with these measures in place. However, data does show that it contributes to the school-to-prison pipeline. Sheriffs have often stated that their number one priority is to keep their communities safe. Well, if that is the case, stop contributing to the school-to-prison pipeline and expand your minds on what safety really looks like because locking everyone up does not equate to safety. We demand sheriff to stop arresting our children for low-level crimes. Children who are arrested are 25% more likely 
to not finish school. Instead of giving our children a ride to the precinct, give them a ride home and allow parents to deal with their children. This is how you begin to bridge the gap between police officers and our community. Rachel Gilmer is a co-director of the Dream Defenders. She believes people are starting to realize that Florida's justice system has gone too far. Florida is ground zero and often a testing lab um, historically for some of the most violent, inhumane policing and incarceration practices in the country. We have the third largest prison system in the country. And every year our state spends millions and millions and millions of dollars locking people up, arresting people, and criminalizing our communities, all in the name of safety. And meanwhile, our communities don't have the basic resources that actually keep our, our communities safe. You know, like a working unemployment system, like um, an adequate healthcare system, like access to basic education and affordable housing. So, you know, this era of our communities being criminalized in the name of safety and this ballooning prison system is over. We really need real solutions around what actually keeps our communities safe. You know, shelter, clean food, good paying job, adequate health care, a good education. And what's really exciting is that we're in a moment where both in Florida and across the country, we're actually seeing a bipartisan consensus building around a new path forward, around an end to a tough on crime approach. You know, I think there's just overall a consensus that our criminal legal system isn't working and that we need something new. State lawmakers spent a lot of time during the 2020 session talking about sentencing reform, but the House made sure nothing happened. So Gilmer says the Freedom for Florida campaign will be concentrating on sheriffs, judges, and state attorneys who have enormous power in the criminal justice system. They want to build a more progressive and accountable legal system by supporting candidates who do not espouse the old lock them up and throw away the key mentality. Next up on the Sunrise interview, we talk with Representative Evan Jenny about the special session that never was. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics. Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local health care provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org slash COVID for more information. Welcome back to Sunrise. One week ago, Representative Evan Jenny of Broward County was our guest on the podcast, and he told us House Democrats were trying to force a special session on coronavirus. He also admitted it was a long shot. So we're not holding our breath on this, but we, we are going to try to take our, our shot in the dark. Democrats had enough support to compel the Secretary of State to poll all the senators and representatives, but when Republicans weighed in, the votes were not there for a special session. Well, it turns out I was correct. There wasn't much of a shot. Um, but we knew that going into it. But, the, you know, we needed to make sure that we push these uh, issues to the forefront. Uh, people are still struggling with unemployment. Uh, we still have grave concerns over elections. We still have grave concerns over uh, the potential uh, health care uh, insurance ramifications that will come for a lot of Floridians at the tail end of this. Um, you know, and we know that medical-related uh, bankruptcies are the number one cause of bankruptcies in the United States. This is only going to exacerbate that. So uh, we, we still feel like we're fighting the good fight, and we're going to continue to do so. Uh, and when a special session is probably convened at some point over the course of the next few months, 
Um, I will be interested to see if our, our, if our ideas are incorporated into that um, or if, uh, you know, the leadership in the House and Senate will continue to say there's nothing wrong here. Please look in the other direction. Why do you think there's such resistance among the Republicans? Is, is it a matter of trying to make the governor look good? Yeah, um, you know, I don't know. I don't want to, You know, it's difficult to say exactly what's in another uh, grown adult man or woman's brain. Um, So, you know, I don't know if I can do that successfully, Um, but I do know it's difficult to look at a system that, you know, wholly falls uh, in in one particular partisan camp uh, that you can point to uh, and have that camp admit that they made a mistake. Um, I've said it time and time again on a number of different issues this year. Um, but what I've found in my dozen years in the legislature is the most difficult thing to do uh, is to get the body as a whole to admit that they've done something really uh, incorrectly in terms of policy. Uh, and I think that holds true here um, when you're talking about a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, they were it was a bad plan. It was bad decision making. Some of it made, uh, you know, nearly a decade ago. Um, some of it made recently. Uh, but nonetheless, um, you know, there were significant issues and problems uh, that that a lot of people that are still in some sort of power uh, created. And it makes it much more difficult for uh, the lower tier levels uh, of of a legislative body uh, to point the finger at, a, you know, a ringleader. So, um, you know, it's just we knew what we had going into this. But, um, you know, sometimes you get a surprise this time we didn't. Now, the odds are still pretty good you'll have to come back just simply for budget matters, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I would, ima- I would imagine so. Um, you know, we need to see uh, what I, I believe there should be a new forecast from Amy Baker here um, sometime soon. Um, and, you know, I've heard wildly varying numbers, uh, all of which cannot just simply be um, swept under the rug using the broom that is, um, uh, excuse me, our, our uh, emergency funds. Um, so it's going to be a huge deal, and a lot of this is going to come down to how much money does the federal government give us. But from what I'm hearing, um, some people are already admitting that it could be tens of billions of dollars, um, you know, and others are still having their fingers crossed. But uh, I think it's inevitable, more likely than not, uh, just the havoc that's, uh, that, that COVID-19 has, has, has sent across the state in, in terms of the economy. Um, that, you know, just the just in terms of, um, excuse me, sales tax revenues, um, it's going to do things very far afield uh, from where we thought they were uh, just a few short months ago. Well, I saw the preliminary estimate on the last was that we'd lost somewhere in the neighborhood of $770 million in one month. I mean, the state can't yeah. take that for any length of time, can it? Yes. No. I mean, and that's exactly right. And there's and look, this this was a, this was a good budget. Um, you know, the work that... Um, uh, you know, speaking in the House, the work I'm more familiar with, uh, with Chair Cummings, um, I was did a good, good job putting together one of the better budgets, quite frankly, as I said, I've been here for 12, doing this for 12 years in the House, uh, one of the better budgets that uh, of the last couple decades. Um, but it, it's it's sad, and, and I just think that that hard work is going to have to start back over again, um, you know, because there are some major projects that are going to come under scrutiny or line items. I'm deeply concerned for the teacher raises we all agreed to put in this year. Um, you know, there's some other stuff that, quite frankly, I voted against that I'd like to see go away, like the MCORS project uh, that we're stuffing billions of dollars into a toll road uh, that no one asked for and no one really needs. Um, so, you know, there's that as well. So there, there, there are big budget items that, that some good, some bad. Uh, but I think those are going to be put on the table along with um, individual members' uh, uh, projects uh, that we put in. 
legislators uh, and bring back to our districts. I, I'm nervous that a lot of those are going to go uh, up in smoke uh, with with the declining uh, economy and, and the decline in, uh, in, in sales tax revenues. And other, do- I mean, just everything across the board, even our doc stamps revenues with houses selling. I mean, everything is going to be affected by this. Uh, I don't see any any particular um, source of government revenue that's going to spike because of what's going on right now. I think you're just going to see a general uh, slowdown in, in any monies that are being received that way. So um, it's something that I think is probably going to be inevitable. Um, I think that people are hopeful that they can kind of push this off till next year uh, and get past the election. Uh, but we'll see what happens um, because calling a special session to say specifically, um, here are some, you know, here are the numbers that the state isn't coming in. And those numbers can be extrapolated to the damage that's being done to the economy. And, and I think, um, you know, people, there are certain people that do not want to have to make that admission um, that the economy is, is doing very poorly. And, and and I think that's just the reality of the situation that no one, whether you're a protester in Michigan um, or if you're someone that's been calling for stay-at-home orders from January 1st on, I think everybody can admit that, that the economy is not doing uh, as well as it could be. So how are things down there in the last part of Florida that's still under a stay-at-home order? Yes, um, I can tell you that just based upon me going to uh, do uh, food handouts uh, through at different cities throughout the county, um, traffic has picked back up. Um, there are more people out. Um, there are more less people staying at home uh, because they hear that the governor has you know lifted the stay-at-home order, but they don't. You know, it, it's it's these half measures um, that can cause significant problems because. Uh, right now, um, I've seen an uptick in terms of when I've been out going to the grocery store, delivering food to my parents, et cetera. Uh, it seems like there's more people. But then again, Rick, that's completely anecdotal. You know, it, it could just be that everybody got in their car at the same time one day uh, and hit the same road at the same time. But, you know, people are people are struggling just the other day. Uh, what was that on Monday or excuse me on? Uh, was that? Yeah, that was no, that was Tuesday. Uh, I was uh, with with some folks from the city of Hollywood. Uh, There was an 800 to 1,000 car line for 800 meals uh, and food, uh, you know, um, services. So uh, there's a lot of people struggling, and we got to figure a way to do this. But we have to do it the right way because if this turns out to be a situation like the nation faced in 1918 uh, with the flu then, um, you know, the second wave was the most deadly and most damaging um, so we have to be very careful because if you allow that second wave to really rise and crest, um, it could throw things into a much longer uh, term spiral uh, if, when we're talking about how the economy is doing. So um, it is it is um, I'm hoping for the best. But I think also we have as legislators, we have a responsibility um, to our constituents to plan for the absolute worst. And, um, you know, we have to be we have to contemplate both. Gotcha. And never apologize for telling anecdotes. I mean, if not for that, what would we talk about? Yeah, no, that is it. I mean, and that's and that's really it. You know, I, I you know, I'm not getting individual numbers from from uh, intersections of how many cars are going through every day, but um, there does seem to be a little bit of an uptick in the amount of people coming out out of the house, even though we are still under a stay-at-home order, um, because it, it just it adds confusion and people kind of go, well, if. If Orange County and Hillsborough can do it, then I don't care if I live in Broward. If it's okay for them, it's okay for me. And uh, it does create some confusion. But I, I, I just anecdotally, um, I, there, it appears to be more people out and about at this point in time. Um, but, uh, but you know, all of this is – and that's the scary thing. It's all speculation, and it's kind of 
um, the highest of stakes gambling. Um, and, and, you know, you're talking about ruining people's lives or killing people. Um, these are, you know, these are heavy, heavy issues that need to be contemplated thoroughly. And, you know, I, I think even if you want to criticize what's going on, you still have to hope for the absolute best. Um, but with somebody with two parents in their seventies, this makes me, you know, sets, puts me a little bit on edge for them. Um, and we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I know there's a growing, uh, you know, outcry, um, you know, that I don't care about your grandmother. I see it on, you know, social media. Um, well, you know, some of us do. So I guess that's, uh, that's a line in the sand that it's, it's, I, it's crazy to think about, but that appears to be a line in the sand at this point. Uh, I don't care if somebody's grandma dies or I do care if somebody's grandma dies, but that's where we're at this morning. Thanks for joining us today, Representative Jenny. Absolutely. Thank you, Rick. Anytime. Your calendar of political events begins at 8. That's when the Board of Dentistry meets by conference call. The Medicaid Pharmaceutical and Therapeutics Committee is having an online meeting at 8.30. Also at 8.30, the Board of Chiropractic Medicine meets online. Florida International University is holding a virtual commencement ceremony at 10. Traditional grad events are not being held because of the virus. And on Saturday, the University of South Florida is holding virtual commencement ceremonies for its Tampa, St. Petersburg, and Sarasota Manatee campuses. It all begins at 10. And finally, it's time to check in with Florida Man, who sometimes goes a bit too far in search of peace and quiet. A Florida man tells deputies in Marion County he opened fire with his assault rifle because a group of kids on bikes were tormenting the neighborhood and he wanted to send them a message. Officers had been dispatched in Ocala to investigate reports of dirt bikers driving recklessly. 45-year-old Derek Roberts admits he fired six rounds from his Glock into the ground. But the kids say he also fired an AR-15 in their direction and deputies say those rounds were not aimed at the ground. Roberts is charged with three counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon without intent to kill. And cops in Cape Coral arrest a Florida man after he jumped in a canal while fleeing a traffic stop. According to the police report, Sean Gilligan of North Fort Myers ran a stop sign at 1 in the morning and sped away when an officer tried to pull him over. He drove down a dead-end road, then bailed out of his Jeep and jumped into a canal to escape. Police were waiting for him on the other side. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.